Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast. Uh, this is your host, Ugo Che. And today I'm uh, alone on the show. My partner Ralph uh, is uh, for a change. He's traveling. How strange. <laughs> I mean, so he couldn't make it today. And uh, But uh, we are doing this interview anyway. And uh, our guest today is uh, Susan Portnoy. Susan is the creator of The Insatiable Traveler, a blog celebrating world travel and her adventures at home in New York City. Her work includes award-winning photography and original storytelling, in addition to photography and travel advice. Her images and tales transport, immerse, and excite readers, inspiring them to seek adventure and connect with the people and places they visit. The Insatiable Traveler has been featured in the Associated Press, Mashable, Travel Pulse, Travel Bubble, Luxury Travel Blog, USA Today, and Yahoo Travel, among others, and was recently named one of Discovery Corps' 17 top travel blogs to follow in 2017. So that's an impressive resume. Uh, welcome, Susan. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Uh, it's great to have you here. So you're in New York now? Are you snowed in? Um, I am in New York, and today all the snow melted, so no. Oh, so everybody was freaking out. There's going to be a giant storm, and then it all melted <laughs> Well, there was. There was a huge storm, but in New York, everything can change on a dime. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, it was uh, actually, I was there a couple of weeks ago. It was actually, weather was pretty balmy. It was windy, but uh, not, not really cold. I expected it to be colder. Maybe that's what uh, global warming is. Uh, well, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because the day before the snowstorm was literally the the warmest day on record in February ever. Yeah. And the next day, a huge snowstorm. So it, it's it's nuts. It's crazy. Yeah, I know. So I was uh, looking at your uh, at your website, your blog, uh, The Insatiable Traveler. And what really, uh, I mean, uh, piqued my curiosity uh, were your stories about Mongolia, because you've recently been on a trip to that country. And I've never been there. And we also haven't had any uh, of our guests who had been to Mongolia, or at least who have been to Mongolia and have uh, told us about it. So, and you also had some, some really interesting and uh, funny stories about it. So I would like to, to hear your impressions about Mongolia. And uh, first of all, uh, you told me this was not uh, the a classic tour of Mongolia, where they visit uh, many different locations, uh, starting with the capital and moving across the country. But your tour focused on a specific region and a specific experience. Uh, can you tell us more about that and about the reasons for that, that choice? Absolutely. Um, I went with uh, a photographer named Timothy Allen, whose work I've admired for quite a long time. He was the still photographer for BBC's Human Planet. He won Travel Photographer of the Year in 2013. And, and I really loved um, all of his work that I've seen. And 
I knew that he had a particular love of Mongolia and had developed some incredible relationships. And from that, he was inviting photographers to join him in the Altai Mountains to visit the Kazakh nomads, those people that he had befriended. And it just seemed like a perfect combination for me. One, being able to learn from someone and, and shoot alongside someone of his ilk. The other, a exotic, interesting, authentic opportunity to, you know, live and see how these people lived in real time. And it was amazing. Uh, you mentioned relationships. Uh, how, how important are them in order to to be in contact and actually live, I mean, for at least for a few days, side by side with those people? You mean the relationships yeah. that we had with them? Well, I think because the Altai Mountains, I mean, there there's no internet, there's no phones, there's no running water. Um, being able to camp alongside family girls, which we did. We visited a few different families over many hundreds of miles. And those personal relationships that he had and had made over the years were extremely important in them feeling comfortable with us. Even though they're an incredibly gracious culture, I'm sure that knowing him was helpful to them. And it certainly was nice for us because it kind of broke um, the ice. He already knew a lot of their children and so forth. So to me, it was integral to the experience. Yeah, sure. Is it, a, is it an expensive trip? I mean, and how, how do you get to Mongolia, say from New York? Do you, I don't think there are direct flights to Ulaanbaatar. Uh, no, well, I mean, it's I mean, it's relative in terms of, of expensive trips, right? Um, so the, the, the flight is always something that when you go to places that far away um, that can add to a trip. Um, I actually found a flight um, that went through uh, Moscow and I'd never been there and I had a seven hour layover. And what was really nice is that um, one of the PR people was kind enough to show me around. And, and so I, I was able to keep busy, but it's not an easy easy trip, but I'm sort of used to it. I've gone on a lot of long flights and I kind of find that part of part of the experience. So you, you went to Moscow and you had a seven hour layover. You were able to go to the city from the airport? No, uh, and, no and I'm sorry, uh, um, I misspoke in terms of, they actually showed me around the airport. Okay. No, because uh, I heard some people who have been to Moscow and say the traffic is crazy it might take hours just to go from the airport to the city and back so exactly so but you seven know hours have, <laughs> that's okay. exactly well you know they had a um, they have this um, new lounge called the space lounge which uh -huh. is kind of crazy everything has a space motif and they have interesting artifacts and they actually uh, put me out you know on my way with um, a box that had um, cosmonaut food, actual cosmonaut food. Um, so it was just an interesting, oh, you know, they also took me on a little tour of the hotel room that Snowden stayed in. Sorry, I'm... <laughs> I can't. I know. Like she's been sleeping all day. Yeah, just, and then just all of a sudden she gets and she. It's like she knows I'm talking to somebody. Oh, sorry. I mean, no, I mean, uh, I will not edit this out because this is funny. But people are not <laughs> are not seeing the video. So while you were talking, I was seeing the tail of your cat crossing in front of the camera. <laughs> so now we we cannot keep serious with that happening. But I know it's impossible, and I'm and I'm trying and I'm trying to be normal as she's jumping up on the table, knowing that if I do anything to disturb her, she's going to start meowing. Yeah. And 
first. She'd been sleeping all day. She just had to wait for this moment. That was that was that was a great moment. I'm I'm <laughs> sorry for <laughs> listeners who will not see it. Right? Listeners out there, I'm sure. That was wondering. a great moment. I saw some uh, a shadow pass in front of the camera, and then I realized it was the cat's tail. <laughs> uh, welcome to my life. Yeah. Okay. So back to back to Mongolia. Yeah. Um, uh, so I went through Moscow. Yeah. Landed in Ulaanbaatar and uh, spent a couple days there. Um, and then we took a, a small plane flight, I'd say about 16 seats, I think it was, maybe a little bit bigger than that, and went to Olgi. And from there, immediately got into a couple big Russian vans, old military vans, and, and headed to the National Park in the Altai Mountains. How far is that? How many hours? Uh, or how are the roads? There are no roads. No roads. <laughs> <laughs> um, very much like Africa in that it's just sort of, you know, dirt tracks through, mm-hmm. you know, fresh ground. And, and um, it's very rocky, very hilly. Um, if I had a back problem, it would not be the best trip to take. Um, you're really kind of moving all around. I kind of felt like I was in a washing machine a lot. Um, but it's gorgeous country. It's gorgeous, gorgeous country. And the first day we got there, I'd say around one, no, around two or three, our, our plane was delayed. And we drove five or six hours um, to our first mm-hmm. stop um, that was alongside a lake um, to set up camp. Yeah. So when you got there, uh, there was a, a wedding happening. I think that's uh, uh, what, what's, uh, what it's like to get married there. And what were the, the highlights of the ceremony? It's really incredible. Um, yes, the next day we were we went to a wedding, and um, it was interesting because it was a double wedding. A man had two of his sons getting married. He was wealthy, um, uh, relatively from the Cossack perspective, and so when we arrived, the actual ceremony had already taken place. So it was more about the reception, and there was a giant ring um, where the couple sort of sat on a low dais, and uh, we watched wrestling, which mm-hmm. was an amazing. Um, addition to a wedding, I thought. Yeah, and I mean, those peoples are Kazakhs. I mean, are, are they the same people that live in Kazakhstan? Because if I picture uh, Asia in my mind, a geographical map, and I think of Mongolia and Kazakhstan, there's basically the whole of China in between. So how does that work, that those people are so far away from Kazakhstan? Well, it, it's like anything else in terms of immigration. Um, these were... Um, Cossacks that had, that were generational had, you know, the original Cossacks had come over 200, 300 years ago, but they certainly have ties to Kazakhstan. Some still have family there. So depending on when they actually came, but yes, there's a definite lineage. Yeah, I see. That's uh, the, the name is not a coincidence. It's actually the same people. Exactly, exactly. And they they live a life that uh, is probably devoid of many of the comforts that we take for granted in the West. You said there is no internet, there is no running water. I guess there is also no electricity unless they have a generator. But they they seem that they love having a a good time. I mean, weddings with horse races and uh, wrestling matches. And and they love dancing. 
Is that right? <laughs> they, yes, they do love dancing. Uh, one day we were actually um, part of a, a, a celebration for one of the um, families that we were camping by. And it broke out into sort of a very spontaneous dance party that lasted about eight hours. Yeah, eight hours. Eight hours. Yeah, eight hours. And, was, and they involved you in the dance? Oh, yeah, everyone was involved. There was about 20 of us. We were dancing. We um, played all kinds of games in the middle of the dancing. Um, it was quite the affair. There was a lot of vodka involved. Um, we had a little... They, they actually brought in a, a speaker that they attached to a car battery. That was our mm -hmm. sound system. And... It was really exciting. I mean, I don't speak Kazakh. They don't speak a lot of English. We had translators, but we could share this moment 100%, you know, and we didn't need to speak a lot. We could laugh and we could joke and we did a lot of pantomiming while we danced and, and it was really, really special. What's their uh, attitude towards photography? I mean, from your photos, it looks like they're very happy to be photographed. Uh, but are they familiar with photography? I mean, for the wedding, there was like an official photographer that would take a photo of the bride and the groom. And uh, how, how does that work? There, there, it was really interesting because there was this strange blend of modernity and this very traditional ages-old lifestyle. So you'd have people that lived in Gers without bathrooms or running water, but they might have an old-style Land Cruiser. At the wedding... They had a videographer, but, you know, the video camera was very old. I mean, it was one of those huge video cameras. And then they had someone who was an MC, um, and it was really interesting what they had and what they didn't have and then how they kind of blended those two together. Um, so from a photographic standpoint, again, they knew Timothy, and many of the people um, who came to this wedding had met him before because of weddings he attended in past. So it's hard to tell what they would be if it was completely unknown, um, you know, if we were unknown to them. But quite often the Cossacks would stop us and ask us to take pictures, you know, and, and we sent quite a few of them back through the translators so that they would have them. Great. That's always something great to, to do for... For the people you photograph, they might not have uh, photos of their children and so on. So being able to, at least maybe that's not the situation there, but still having a few more photos, it's definitely a, a good thing to, to send back. And I think also, too, you know, I wish, I think in future what I will do for, for situations like this, I'll definitely bring a Polaroid because they were enamored of that. But also I saw that photos that had been taken by Timothy in past when we'd go into family girls, they had them proudly displayed yeah. up on the walls. And, and I just think that was so nice. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, we shouldn't think that they are so different from us. They have the many different culture, but many of the same feelings, the same uh, pleasure of uh, looking at photos of themselves, their family, their relatives, and so on. Definitely. Exactly. I think sometimes people you know, put too much attention on how we're different. And I think that's what's so great about travel is that no matter where you go, you start to find those commonalities and those things that we can all relate to together. And, and I think that's one of the major reasons I travel is, is to connect in that way. Yeah, great. 
So do you have any tips uh, for people who want to visit Mongolia? Uh, something practical? Oh, sure. I mean, I think that one, you have to be, if you're going to do something similar to what I was doing, um, not stay in the city, um, you have to be prepared that there's not going to be a lot or any infrastructure, depending on what you're doing. You need to be conscious that, um, you know, life happens there. We had our our vans break down um, the week before uh, our translator was caught in a water crossing with his van that almost went up to the window. You have to take those kinds of things lightly and, and make them part of the adventure. If you are someone who needs uh, a very specific schedule or a lot of luxury, this probably wouldn't be the place for you. Um, also, one thing that I noticed is that you need to be prepared that it's probably a little colder than you expect, even though the time of year might suggest it would be warmer. Uh, there were times that it was 80 degrees in the middle of the afternoon, but it would easily go down to the 40s and 50s at night. So I was constantly putting on and taking off layers. So, you know, from a packing point of view, you want to consider that. Um, also, it's important to understand that hospitality is a very big part of their culture and they want to do what they can to please their guests. And so you have to be cognizant of that. And I realized when um, I was speaking to one of the elders who happened to be an eagle hunter, I, I said to him jokingly, or at least I thought through the translator, you know, I, when do I get my eagle? And I could see his face get sort of flustered and, and he was concerned and, and same with the, the interpreter. And I realized you know, they came back and they said, you know, we don't think that the airlines will let you bring an eagle <laughs> on the plane. But if you can get permission, then, you know, Tobias will find an eagle for you. Oh, and amazing. <laughs> So bad because he felt bad. So I realized I needed to be careful on things like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, understandable. And a very practical question: How do you charge your batteries? Um, well, that was you know we, we had to bring it along. So there was definitely a camping kit, um, and it was specific to the needs of you know multiple sure. photographers. So we had generators with us. Oh, okay, yeah, sure. You don't have to to buy a to to carry a a bag full of batteries just for that. <laughs> well, I did. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I did because, you know, I had about five different batteries with me, ones so that I could go out longer. But when you're at these weddings and you're, you're not near the generator. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I would recommend both in memory cards and in batteries that you have a good supply. I, I would recommend that no matter where you go. Yeah, of course. Another thing about your, your trip to Mongolia is that you, you went with a group, uh, even though you didn't know any of them in advance but uh, I also know you like to, to travel solo and that you have some, some opinions about traveling solo as a woman can you share some of them a bit with us sure I mean I think that it's just important that for a woman traveling solo to to be thoughtful about where you're going if you're going to a country that has different views on women uh, about women um, to be thoughtful about those traditions and those cultures and, and not try to assert yourself um, as an American and, and, and be cognizant that there are other cultures that think differently. So be thoughtful of that so that you don't put yourself into, a, you know, an uncomfortable situation. Um, 
I think that it's important that you realize that when you're traveling alone, that there are moments when it can get a little lonely. Mm-hmm. I know that a lot of people don't go by themselves for that reason. And I really encourage people to try at least one trip on their own. But those moments happen. Quite frankly, you can be with a bunch of people and feel lonely. But, you know, I think if you, if you already sort of expect that that might you might have those fleeting moments um it'll be easier to handle yep great what's more <laughs> <laughs> i have tons of tips that's great um another aspect of the of that, that trip is that it was um an organized i mean how would you, would you define it it was with with a professional photographer so it was a tour because it was definitely an adventure um but maybe it also had aspects of a workshop. And I know, again, you have uh, some opinions about tours and workshops and what's the difference between them in your mind. And what what would you suggest that people look for when selecting a, a tour or workshop to take part in? Sure. I love both tours and workshops because I always feel like I come out the other side Um, a little better in my skills or my thoughts about photography or how I approach photography. But I do have um, sort of different ways that I look at them. And there are blurring of lines depending on who is the one leading it. But um, overall, workshops to me are a thoughtful educational process over a few days that might um, include lectures, it might include Um, assignments and photographic reviews so that you can get feedback in real time on the assignments that you had. And that those types of workshops push you. They ask for things that you might not normally do. And um, I think that's very helpful, but it may not be for everybody. A tour often is, you know, trip... Um, Organized. It's it's you're going someplace, and this is really about how to um, engage with a different destination and use photography, this passion that you have, um, as a way, as a lens to 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 see that country or where whatever. Um, and it's not as formal. There may not be. There probably isn't assignments. Um, you may or may not have photography reviews and. Um, That's great too. Having I, I like going on these trips a lot because I'm with like-minded people, and if I'm not if I'm not going on my own, which I also love, um, at least I don't feel guilty. If I want to stop and hang out at a street corner, or I want to really work a location. I don't have to explain that to anybody. Uh, when I go with friends and family, they want to shoot me because <laughs> I want to spend time um, doing that kind of thing, and they don't. I know, so, I know that feeling. <laughs> right, right. And I, and I feel like I like being able to come back and talking about photography. So it's a very indulgent situation, and, and I love that. Um, I also learn from the fellow photographers, you know, their questions could be something that I hadn't thought about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I really encourage photographers at any level. I, I have gone 
um, with other pros. I have gone with people who are um, fairly new and I've always found some common ground photographically with them and learned a lot. And not only that, I have friends all over the world that I still keep in touch with who love photography and that, you know, have now become a part of my life in, in some way. Great. Uh, one question that I would like to ask you at this point is, what comes first or what came first in your life? Was it travel or photography or maybe writing? Uh, let, let me explain what I mean. Uh, I know some people photograph in order to travel and other people travel in order to photograph. And you also have the writing component. So uh, I saw... You use photos to illustrate your, your articles on your site. And uh, if you are published elsewhere, do the photos normally go together with, uh, with the articles? Do you uh, have uh, other uh, outlets like you, you sell your photos independently of your writing? Uh, or maybe you, have, uh, you go to a place like Mongolia because you think you might have clients who might be interested in a travel story about Mongolia that is illustrated with your photos. How does that work for you? Um, the answer would be yes to, to all of that. Um, the, to start where you, your first question, travel was always the first thing for me. I, I'm relatively new in photography, and that actually came out of a trip. Um, I, on my website, I will use photography both from an aesthetic, pleasing, beautiful shot perspective. I'll also use maybe not such a fabulous shot, but something that truly illustrates something um, that I think the reader might be interested in. Um, I do sell to clients individually. I've sold uh, photos to other publications. Um, the writing really came out of wanting to express that. Uh, I used to just put photos up on Tumblr or Facebook. And as friends would start to ask me questions, then I started to write little captions and the captions got bigger and then the stories got bigger. So it was all really a pretty organic flow, frankly. Yeah. I had a question in mind and I forgot about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, that's what I, what I was meaning to say oh, is that always the case it, it was not a it was not a question it was actually a, a little uh, pun i mean your your website is called insatiable traveler it's yeah. not called insatiable travel photographer so i guess that that means something well i think that one you know i it's i don't know that insatiable travel photographer really rolls no. off the tongue so well. Um, so that's one thing. Um, but I do make it very clear if you look at the about me and throughout all of the writing that photography is an essential part of, of what I'm there to do. I also love on my site, I showcase other people's work. I have a feature called um, photos I wish I had taken. And that's across the board, all kinds of different photography, but typically in different locations. Um, images that I think are really special and I talk about why I like them and then a lot of my readers will chime in about why they like it. And I find that that process of looking at other people's photos um, is incredibly educational to me and inspiring. 
Do you select a location or destination based on what kind of photos you can bring home? I mean, did you select Mongolia because you, you thought you would meet those incredible Kazakhs uh, or I know you went to Namibia because you wanted to take photos of specifically wildlife or the dunes uh, or are you uh, enticed by a, by a place and without regarding for about without thinking about specific types of photos that you want to to bring home you just heard about Mongolia and you said it's going to be great and whatever I will get I will photograph everything and we'll uh, we'll find something good Prior to photography, I certainly did. I would just think about what the experience would be and what seemed interesting and exciting and different. Um, I lived in Europe for three years after college, and, and I love wonderful cities. Don't get me wrong, but I do feel this desire to really go to places that are unusual and have you know traditional cultures, at whatever level that may still exist. So I, I kind of seek that out. However, in the last couple years when photography has become so important to me personally, it's hard for me to really pull out what has the bigger influence. I mean, Mongolia, amazing. I love nature. Um, and they had the Kazakhs and it's all photogenic. It was a big plus for me. I mean, all, every little box was checked in terms of what I was looking for. And with wildlife, um, I, I could sit in Africa and watch a lion sleep for days. So, you know, that is both about the experience and the photography. Yeah, I think sometimes, unfortunately, we tend to focus too much on photography and we go to a place and we miss the experiences. I mean, we see the world through the tunnel of a small viewfinder and that's only a very limited experience. I think it's important at times to just put the camera down leave the moment and forget about the photos that will come later maybe so that's something that m me included because uh well i don't i don't travel full time and when i go to a place i always try to get as many photos as possible or at least as many good photos as possible but sometimes i realize that i've spent so many hours behind the camera with the camera uh, in front of my face that i've maybe missed some experiences not sure I, think, I, mean, I certainly think that's possible and, and, and I've certainly had that feeling now and then. I also found that photography helps me to see something that I might not have seen just walking down the street. I'm looking at colors. I'm looking at textures. It makes me aware of so much around me um, because I'm sort of looking at it um, more intently. So I think there's a, a good um, balance that can be struck. I think that it's important um, for someone to be self-aware and recognize, you know, how much are they just putting into that moment? I think those photographers that are going with the intention to sell a photograph later um, often are the ones that sort of miss the experience because they're just trying to get something that'll sell. Um, I really don't operate from that perspective. I see. Okay. Do you have any trips coming up in the next uh, few months? Or I during the do, year? Well, I next month I'm actually taking a master class, uh, a master workshop with Arthur Meyerson, which I'm looking very forward to. His work is spectacular, and this will be 
you know, one of those out of my comfort zone, have to really think about it um, kinds of experiences. But I but I embrace that. Um, and what's, and that, what's that? What's that about? Where is it? And what's the, the topic of the if, if there uh, is a specific? Yeah, it's um, it's about color and his use of color and seeing color and using color um, within photography to create a moment, to give a message, to focus the eye. Uh, he's so well known for his color photography um, that he will help us with that. And it's going to be in Santa Fe. Um, it's with the Santa Fe Photographic Workshops. Um, and... It will be intense. It's five days. It's all day. And um, I'm really looking forward to it. From a travel perspective, uh, I'm working on trips to Alaska. I hope to be going to Montana. Definitely, um, you know, working on going back to Africa. So I've got things, um, plates in the air that are spinning. And I'm um, looking forward to see what actually lands. I'm looking forward to see your photos from wherever you go because uh, and reading your stories. They're, they're both great. So any any other things you would like to add before we wrap this interview up? Uh, no, I think that, you know, certainly if anyone listening to this has some questions, I know obviously they can um, write into you as well, but please feel free to come to the Insatiable Traveler and ask me any questions that you might have. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at Insatrav, I-N-S-A-T-R-A-V. It's a new Twitter feed that I've just created just for this work. And um, I'm on Facebook at Insatiable Traveler as well. How about Instagram? Oh, yeah. I'm so stupid. Of course, Instagram. <laughs> yes, Insatiable Traveler as well. I'm finding Instagram, I mean, I'm late to the party. Instagram. Uh, maybe it's, it's too late, but I've found that it's much so... So much better than Facebook and Twitter nowadays to in order to connect to peop with people and uh, and get engagement. But yeah, that, that's it's uh, really you know Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. You really have to approach them with different strategies, not expecting to get the same thing out of them. Um, you know, and each one sort of has a different type of communication. So it's hard to juggle them. It's not always fun, but I do love the interaction. I do love answering questions that people have and, and um, being able to talk to people all around the world. So we will definitely put links to your website and to your different social media presences uh, on the on the blog post that accompanies this, uh, this interview. And uh, what else? I mean, it was, a, I think it was a really great conversation we had today and I uh, look forward to talking with you again maybe on another occasion where you will tell us about uh, I don't know Africa or Montana or Alaska or Santa Fe I would love that I would love that they're all you know they'd all be different experiences so um, I would enjoy recounting them with you great so thanks again for being with us today and all the best for your next trips and take care thank you so much for having me I've had a great time So there you have it, another great guest who entertained us with our really compelling and uh, at times funny stories. If you want to find all the links that were mentioned during this episode, you can head over to our website at ttim.photo forward slash 65. If you want us to tackle a particular topic during one of the next episodes, please leave us a comment there on our contact form. 
And finally, we would love if you could leave us a review on iTunes. You can just go to ttim.foro forward slash iTunes. That's all for this week. All the best and take care.